In our absence, we did have a good camp there in Minnesota. I was back in town in time for the Thursday evening service, but I received a call from one of our pastors requesting that Sister Grant and I uh, come to their city and and minister to them personally. They just had a personal uh, need. And so Sister Grant and I spent the entire evening and the next morning, well, all day, actually Thursday, uh, that evening and next morning. Praise God. God is so good, though, isn't he? Really, is just so good to us. So good to us. And this morning I made uh, some apology before I preached about my glasses. I said I'm going to have to be pulling these things on and off. And I feel like a horse with blinders. While you're supposed to be able to see better with glasses, I really don't. I see worse. But I understand once I get accustomed to the, to the uh, bifocal part of them that I'll be able to do all right. I can actually read real good or I can see it real good. I never could read good. <laughs> But somebody was so kind to tell me, he said, well, said uh, it was said of some person here that when they came to our church that you look like a gangster. But they said, with the glasses, you don't look like a gangster. <laughs> really, they didn't say gangster, they said criminal. <laughs> uh, the person who originally said it said gangster, but this morning they, they didn't use the word gangster, they said criminal. I tried to figure out if there was any difference between a gangster and a criminal. And uh, I guess uh, technically there is a difference, but, but I suppose in, in essence there's not a whole lot of difference because uh, most, most associations that would you consider as a gang are involved in criminal activities. So the, I know what they were really making reference. That we, the church is, is, is an organized gang against... Hell and against the devil. So, <laughs> just try to make myself feel good about that. First Peter two verse nine. And do I ever like to preach? Praise God. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. That's something... Just, why don't you just turn to somebody right near you while we stop and say, you're peculiar. What would you do? <clears throat> now, oh, don't get upset now. They had permission. You're peculiar too. I could have I used some of the other terms there, but we just uh, use that one. Now, the purpose of all this, that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, 
which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Praise God. You may be seated. And I want to use the latter phrase of verse 12. And I want to talk about a visit from God. A visit from God. That they may glorify God in the day of visitation. I, I gave a lot of thought to this passage of Scripture. In fact, I suppose more than I ever have in uh, times past, I've given a lot of thought to my relationship with the Lord. If there's anything that I want, I want a real personal relationship with God. I spoke to you the last time before I went to the, the camp meeting there about a personal relationship with God. I like to see people who are, are uh, personable, people who can, can just kind of open up and talk to you. and You like that type of relationship, don't you? Now, the reason why that I this is so appealing to me is because that the word visitation is used. Now, God is omnipresent. It simply means He's everywhere at one time. The devil is not omnipresent. But God is omnipresent. He's every place at one time. But we do find throughout the Bible where God visits people, or He appears to them. Are you hot tonight? Wow, it's terribly hot. All the men can pull off their coats if they'd like. You don't have to be so formal. You can even loosen up your tie a little bit if you want to. It's just terribly hot outside. and I'd like for you to get comfortable. I'm not going to be speaking that long tonight, but we want everybody to, to get right into what we're talking to you about. But even though God is omnipresent, He's every place. He reveals Himself to man quite often in so many different ways at different times. Now, Jesus, we know, was God with us. John the Baptist, it was said of him in the Scripture that he was born full of the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. If this be true, and it is because the Scripture tells us, there we say less of Jesus. However, when Jesus was baptized of John and Jordan, the Holy Ghost descended from heaven like unto a dove and rested upon him and remained there. Now, likened to a dove, it simply means that the gentleness of God rested upon him. Now, some people believe that there was some type of theophany occurrence here where God made himself into a form of a bird 
and rest upon Jesus. And I don't personally believe that because the Bible says that it remained there. And Jesus didn't go throughout his ministry with a bird on his shoulder. See? And so we do see the symbol of the dove quite often used as, as uh, a logo or, or uh, in some form of advertisement as it relates to some Christian church or Christian community. That, that's, that's fine. That's all right. But I, I like this, the way God spoke about the Holy Ghost resting upon the Lord because the gentleness of His Spirit was there. Now, when God visit man, visits man, yeah, He's already there all the time. But He uses the term throughout the Scripture of His visitation to man. And I like this term because, you see, when he uses the term visit, it's so personal. He could have used the word when God appears to man. Or when God reveals himself to man. Well, the appearance and the revelation are spectacular words that could be used. But when you think of a visitation, especially in the sense in which it's used here, you think of of a, a friend, someone who pays you a friendly visit. It's not an appointment. Well, theoretically, we could say that an appointment would be a visit. Nevertheless, they use the term visit. And I like the term or the word visit because it does denote a personal relationship. And, 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 of course, when God comes to, to man, he comes to man at many different times and many different ways. Now, he's not going to always visit you from the standpoint of which I preach it tonight. There will be times in which he's, he's going to reveal himself, and you're going to feel that revelation. There are times when you feel harshness from God. That, that's, that's necessary. That's, that's important for God to stress his point at given times. To you to accomplish a particular purpose. When God comes down and calls a man into the ministry, when, when Saul was called in the ministry, he was showed what great things that he must suffer for the namesake of the Lord. And so I wouldn't say that was like a personal visit. In fact, God even struck him with blindness. That doesn't sound like a personal visit to someone's home. I've often thought about uh, the... Uh, the book that was written in his steps. Now I don't know if any of you have read that. How many of you read that book? We got oh we've got a good number of people that's read the book. It is a spectacular book and it really causes you to think. It talks about an individual who all of a sudden decided that he would do everything the way the Lord did it and that he would uh, understand that the Lord was with him all the time right in his presence. Now, if you felt that God was with you all the time, and He really is, how would you live your life? If you knew that just as as someone in your family observes you and watches you and they're physically there, uh, how would you react if you knew the Lord was just standing there watching everything you did as a father watches over a child? I wonder if it changed your lifestyle. I wonder if it changed your family life. It, it perhaps would, in most cases. I'm sure that it would. 
And if all of a sudden you got a, a letter from heaven stating that Jesus Christ would personally come to your house for a visit on Monday morning, this following Monday morning, you'd probably stay up all tonight and you'll be getting everything in order. Now that's not to say that, that your house is a, is a house of sin. But, but you just want everything right. When uh, Jimmy Carter accepted the presidency of the United States of America, he adopted a policy that once a month he would visit in the common home of America. Now, he didn't keep that promise because of his busy schedule, but he did visit several homes. And, and I remember one home out east, and I, I heard the interview later. It was taped. But uh, they just call up this family and say, say, the President of the United States would like to visit your home next Thursday. And uh, is it okay that he comes? Wow. Now, I don't really know what my reaction would be if somebody called me up and said that, that President Reagan was to visit my home. I, I I'd like to have him there, but wow, I mean, uh, I don't know that I would either. You know, I, I don't, I don't know what I, I just, you know, you have mixed emotions. You have a, you have a mixture of feelings inside of you. You, you think about how honored, honored you are that he'd want to come, and to have such a prestigious individual there. But on the other hand. When he used the term the common homes of America, that kind of scares me because I know what common homes are like. I've been in a lot of common homes, and I know that mine is a common home. And I can't, I can't feature what we would have to do to get ready for such an individual. And if Jesus said he was coming to your home, what would you do? But yet we do know the Scripture bears witness of it. The Spirit that's inside of you bears witness of it. That He's really there all the time. I mean, He's there all the time. But there are special times in which the Lord visits you. Now, that simply means that He wants to personally talk to you. He wants to relate to you in a very special way. While He's there all the time, the word visit or visitation is used. Jesus said, I do not call you anything but friends. I want to call you friends, talking to his apostles. He said, the reason why is because a friend knows what his master doeth. If I called you servants, and that was my relationship with you, a servant is usually kept in the dark. And when there, where there is servitude... There is no choice involved. Now, we are servants of the Most High God. I can show you in the Scripture where we are. In a sense, we are. But in a greater sense, we are friends because there is choice involved in what we do. And he said, if I called you servants, he said, you wouldn't, you, I would keep us, everything I do from you. It would be a secret except when I'm giving you orders. 
You know, if there's anything that I really appreciate about God, and this is something that most people do not fully understand, or at least the impact doesn't punch them as hard as it ought to, is the fact that really we have a choice. You know why we're here tonight? Because we chose to come here. I can assure you right now that it's more comfortable in my home than it is in this assembly. When I left, the air conditioner was going. I went and turned the thing off, and I said, wow, it's going to be hot over church. The reason why is because the building is unprotected from uh, the sun. We don't have any big tall trees. I've got all these huge oak trees that kind of insulate my house. And... uh, it's more, it's more comfortable. And you could find a more comfortable place, but we're here because of we chose to come here. We need God, and we recognize that. But you see, He doesn't just force Himself upon us. It's choice. And, and I think the beauty of any relationship, the beauty of any relationship is contingent upon how many choices are involved. Now, I understand, according to the Scripture, that the pastor is the head of the church. But if he never gives the people a choice in what they do, the beauty of that relationship is lost. It's gone. And some pastors, regretfully so, they like to be real dictators. In other words, nobody has a choice at all. And even in a husband and wife relationship, the beauty of that relationship is contingent upon how many choices are involved. If the husband's, if the husband is like a dictator in the home, never giving the wife a choice in so many of her activities, that relationship cannot be a beautiful relationship. And maybe I'm speaking to some husband, some father, who has removed all choices from the household. And if you have done that, and that's your prerogative, if you want to do it, you can. But nevertheless, if you want to be like Christ, you're going to involve your wife in some activities which are predicated solely upon choosing. And so the wife is at liberty to make a lot of choices. I'd hate to know that all the choices of my household that I personally took away from my wife, and uh, she only did what I dictated for her to do. There's just so many things that, that I personally feel good about when there's choice involved. In other words, let's say that uh, my birthday uh, is occurring, and all of a sudden I tell my wife, now, I'd like for you, if you would, to have a nice birthday cake for me. Now, I like chocolate, and I'd like it decorated this way and that way, and I'd like for you to pay at least this much money for it. Now, I'd like for you to take and... uh, Go over the store, and this is what I want for my birthday party. And this is the type of gift that I want. And please get me a card that states someplace in it 
I love you, honey. And you give that to me. Now make sure that you don't come back here with a card that doesn't say I love you in it. Because it is always proper on a man's birthday that his wife have written someplace in the card, I love you. Now, if you don't do that, now you're headed for trouble when my birthday comes. Well, you know, I like for her to give me cards like that. But but the, the, the whole truth of it is, if they're not dictated to her, if orders are not given, and she gives uh, her those cards on her own free will, whenever she wants to, it does something to you. And you see, the beauty of your relationship with God is predicated upon you choosing to do it. And when God speaks of this word visitation, that's what I get out of it. God chooses to come to visit because He has my welfare in mind. Not His, but mine. And when He comes to me, He comes to me in tones of gentleness and in tones of love. And quite often during some altar call, you will hear a minister use the term, God is knocking upon your heart's door. I like that. And I like it because it involves choice. If I don't want to open my heart's door, I don't have to. Now that doesn't mean that I will not suffer later. It doesn't mean that the consequences of the wrath of God will not rest upon me come judgment day. But the whole beauty of God's plan is predicated upon choice. You've heard me say this before. Most of you have, but I just feel that I need to say this for the benefit of some perhaps who have not heard this. I preached a message on the power of choice. You see, when God had the angels, there was a time prior to the beginning in which He gave them a choice. It appears that when He made them, they had no alternative but to serve Him. But He granted to them choice. It was at that time that Lucifer, one of the archangels, one of the three high archangels, took one-third of all the stars from heaven with Him. Jesus said, I beheld thee, Satan, as lightning falling from heaven. But you see, he chose to do that. And when he made Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, he told them what to do and what not to do. But above and beyond that, he said, now, you can actually decide. And they chose to do what they did. The devil really didn't make them do it. That's something that they chose personally. And since the beginning of time, in each dispensation, whether it be the dispensation of innocence, conscience, human government, 
promise, the law, grace, or the church age that we live in. God has granted us choice. And the whole beauty of holiness and the standard of living that you and I have chosen that parallels the standard of living of the Bible is so beautiful because it involves a choice. We don't do it because of some peer pressure that's placed upon us by, by individuals here. We do it because we want to do it. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing. It's, it's a beautiful thing. When we go past the dispensation of the law and we get into the tribulation period, you can find choice involved there. When God sets up His 1,000 years of peace on the face of the earth, the Bible tells us that God rules from Jerusalem, the holy city, with a rod of iron for a thousand years. During this period of time, for one thousand years, He removes removes choice. And everybody serves God, not because they want to, but because they don't have a choice in it. But knowing the nature of God, we see Him in operation again, and the Bible declares this. At the end of the thousand years, he allows man to make a choice. And it's at the end of the thousand years that the greatest battle of all time will be held. Not the battle of Armageddon, but the battle of Gog and Magog. Because some people choose not to serve him after seeing the benefits of it. And the reason why that God wants it that way, so that when the final curtain of time falls, when the angel stretches one foot upon land and one upon the sea, and cups his hand and makes the final declaration, the time shall be no more. And God issues us all into eternity. Everybody who walks on streets of gold and enters into the holy city and inhabits a mansion made by God himself is there because he chose to be there. And you know one of the horrors of hell is that people go there because they want to go there. Now they may not really want to go to hell, but they don't want to stop what they're doing now. And every road of life is determined, whether it be good or bad, by the end to which it leads. And if you're living a life of sin, and you know that hell is at the end of the road, and that's what it will be if you're living a life of sin, by your daily activities and deeds, you're choosing where you go. Hell was prepared for the devil and the angels. Not for you. But you can if you want to. You can go where the devil and the false prophet and the Antichrist are. And you can burn forever and forever and forever and forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. ever If you want to. 
it seems so unfair that, 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 that people would choose that. But nevertheless, that's the beauty of serving God. God doesn't make you to serve Him. Now, He has prevailing circumstances that will change your mind sometimes. But nevertheless, He likes a servant or a friend or whatever your relationship was, is, is with God to be predicated upon choice. I am what I am because I choose to be this. And that's it. The day of visitation. I really like that term visitation. Because when I read it I can see that prior arrangements have been made and God makes those arrangements through different sometimes even adverse circumstances. And man begins to look and long for him. And all of a sudden, at the appointed time, never too early or never too late, he knocks upon your door. Now, what Peter is saying in his letter here he said, now you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises. In other words, this, the reason why that you're all this, I want you to show forth the praises of God who have called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. He then tells them what they were at one time. Then in verse 12, he said, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Now, conversation here doesn't mean your speech. While speech is a part of it, it really means behavior. Having your behavior honest among the Gentiles. He said that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, that they may by your good conversation, or by your good behavior, or by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God when He comes to them. Praise God. You see, it is important that I live the way that I should live because God is, a, is arranging situations right now for people to observe you. I don't know why this happened. I just don't have any idea, but I've got some good neighbors in our neighborhood. I just really appreciate them. There's a gentleman who lives just below me. He's in his uh, mid-70s now. And I started out the driveway, and I saw him in the backyard raking. Now, he'd been raking grass all day long. It's hot. I say he's in the mid-70s. I think he's 74. I'm not really for sure. But uh, if he's not 74, he will be 74 real soon. And uh, when I started out the driveway, it was just like the Lord spoke to me. I pulled in the second driveway there that we recently put in, drove down to where he was and got out and went over and just talked with him for a few minutes. I really felt that I need to do that. And you see, this man told me one time before, he said, you know, I've got a real bad taste in my mouth about uh, Pentecost, and he told me about a marriage that his daughter had with a Pentecostal man, not of our uh, rank and file, 
because the word Pentecost is fairly elastical as far as the term is concerned. It stretches out from uh, two different poles. You know that. And uh, the, the, the group that he was talking about is on the far end of the spectrum from us. But nevertheless, he just lumps them all together. And uh, if what he told me was really true, I can understand why he doesn't feel so favorable. And Sister Grant and I, along with our family, we set out to do everything we could, not to preach to the man, but to just live real upright and honest and be good. And the reason why I say that and the reason why I feel it's so important, because, you see, this man's 74. He was planting a tree out in his backyard not long ago, and while I was out talking to him, he kind of hung his head, and he said, You know, John, I guess it's kind of sad, but he said, You know, I'll never be able to sit underneath this tree. Somebody else will. Because he said, You see, I'm 70, I believe he said 74. But he said, now, it, it's going to pass, I'm going to pass on. And he said, you know, it, it's kind of sad, you know. He said, who knows who will sit under this tree and have a picnic. And I see God so many times just arranging situations so that he can come and visit them. And it is important for all of us to live as honorable and as upright as we can because the gentleness of God will touch their lives one of these days. And God needs a measuring stick on this planet Earth so that people can measure themselves by. I think of prevailing circumstances, and I, I just, I have thought and thought and thought. You know, you try to figure things out. You try to figure God out sometimes. You can't always figure God out, and of course the best thing to do is you just don't try to figure out everything. There is not a solution to everything as far as we are concerned, because it's not in our hands, and our finite mind could never comprehend the infinite wisdom of God. We don't know why God does certain things. And if he told us, we probably wouldn't understand it. So we just accept it as it is. I remember doing street work in, in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I ran across a young man down there. And all of a sudden, about a month or two later, he appeared in our church along with a couple of young girls. And right while I was preaching, he gets up and he leaves. God really dealt with him that night. You're talking about dealing with him that night. God really dealt with this young man. It was about uh, two weeks later that in my own heart, as I passed through the downtown area, the Lord really spoke to me and told me, he said, will not you go by this boy's house? His first name was John. So will not you go by John's house and will not you talk to him? I went by John's house, knocked on the door, a couple of girls answered the the uh, the door there, and I asked for him. 
They told me at first that he's not here. Well, one of the girls in, in the background said, yeah, yeah, he's here. And so they asked him to come down. He opened the door only about this wide. And I don't know what was going on in the house or what kind of a house he had, as a matter of fact. I know they had a lot of drugs and a lot of prostitution and things uh, there. I had talked with a boy on the streets, and I knew this. But nevertheless, as I talked with him, he said, You know, uh, I understand, he said, that the Lord has dealt with me. He really has. And, but he said, At this time, I'm not really ready to serve the Lord. He said, I have your phone number, and I know where your church is. He said, I appreciate your kindness to me. But he said, if I ever need you, I'll give you a call. I told him, I said, wait a minute, John. Uh, I just believe that your trip to our church uh, was more than just a casual visit. I believe that God directed. He arranged that. He's visiting you, John. And when I came to the city... I felt the same thing. He told me, he said, I know, I know. But he said, Preacher, you know, it, it's really hard. Well, at any rate, he ended up closing the door. His farewell to me was, well, I know where you are, and I know that I'll be looking you up one of these days. But right now, the answer is no. And when I started to walk away, I looked. There was a girl upstairs who called my name, and I stopped. And she said, please come back. We just really need to talk with you. Now, that was on a Saturday. Sunday morning when I picked up the newspaper and when I began to read, I found that John Copeland was murdered in downtown Lacrosse that night. I felt such a, uh, such a stabbing pain inside of me. I really believe that God directed me to the streets of La Crosse to find John. I believe that God arranged a circumstance to cause him to come to church. And I believe that God sent me by his home. But the final line is, the choice belonged to John. In our whole relationship, there was not one cross word spoken. There was no harshness involved. I felt the gentleness of God when I talked with him. And I know that John felt it. But God was really knocking upon John's heart's door. But the final line, the choice was John's. It was his. Now, what I'd like for you to do, if you would, to turn with me to Luke, the 19th chapter. <clears throat> Jesus sweeps over Jerusalem. And he, when he was come near, he beheld the city. And he wept over it. You do not find in the Scripture upon many occasions where the term is used that Jesus wept. But he wept over Jerusalem, saying, 
If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this day, in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side. Now this happened in 70 A.D. Jerusalem was destroyed. Jesus prophesied about the destruction of Jerusalem in Matthew 24. And shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Why? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. In other words, when Jesus went into Jerusalem, Jesus... Oh, how he wept over the city. Did you know that, that, that when, when Israel came out of Egypt and when they went into the promised land, God picked out the city of Jerusalem as a place for their worship. And when the kingdom was divided in the days of Jeroboam and Rehoboam, when a civil war took place, Jerusalem then became part of the southern kingdom of the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And the ten tribes to the north, in the dynasty of kings that reigned, they never had one king that was a righteous king. And the reason why is because Jerusalem, the place of their worship, was cut off. It appears that God wanted Jerusalem and He wanted worship to be held at Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem was centrally located between the southern and northern boundaries. And it was a convenient place. It was in the heart of Israel. And it's your heart that God's concerned about. I say it's your heart that God's concerned about. And so, when Jesus came upon the scene, Jesus went to Jerusalem, the place that was taken from the Jebusites years and years and years ago by David, and was handed into the hands of the prophets and the priests to set up a place of worship. Jesus went there and He wept over that city. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets and killest them, how oft would I have gathered thee together as a hen would gather her brood or her chicks under her wings? But he said, you wouldn't hear me. Jerusalem then is prophesied over by Jesus, and the destruction is foretold by the Creator of all nations. And he said, you will be destroyed because that you didn't understand that when I came, I came to visit you, and I came with love. Now, I know that Jesus Christ went into the temple, and I know that he plaited a whip together, and he overturned the tables, and he cast out the money changers. I know all of that. But it was in Jerusalem that many great miracles were performed. And Jesus Christ, when He visited Jerusalem, He visited Jerusalem with a lot of love and with a lot of compassion. It was said of Jesus that He went about doing good. You see, that's the nature of our Lord. 
That's the nature of our God. And some people feel that for me to serve God, uh, something dynamite's got to happen. And you, you've, you've heard people say that. Did, did you know that on a, a common li- night like tonight, in a common apostolic service like tonight, I personally believe that God can establish you just as strong as you want to be in Him. When you, on your own, can stand up and say, I make a decision tonight to serve God. You will find that most people that you have to scare the daylights out of them to get them saved, you've got to keep them scared to keep them saved. That a man just all of a sudden understands and sees the beauty of the way that God works with people, that He loves me and He cares for me. And He didn't reveal Himself as lightning out of heaven to me. But with his love and his gentleness, he came to me and put his arms around me and said, I want you to be my friend. I want to be a friend to you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and just worship the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I choose this, Lord. I want it, Lord. I desire it. It's my choice. Oh, God. Oh. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Zacharias... I say in Zacharias, in the book of Luke, Zacharias the prophet received word that a great man would be born of his household. He was an older man. He just needed a sign from the Lord. He said, now, Lord, how do I know that this shall be? And the Bible tells us that the angel Gabriel came and said, what I'm going to do, Zacharias, I'm going to touch your tongue. You're not going to be able to speak at all from this day forth until your son John is born. John, speaking of John the Baptist. And the Bible tells us that, John, that Zacharias stayed in the temple a long time in prayer, and the people were waiting on him. When he came out, he opened his mouth, and he, he couldn't even talk. He just couldn't say a word. Later on, John the Baptist was born. The Bible says that uh, in verse 66, we'll just start reading there, And all they that heard them laid them up, and their hearts saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Praise God. You see, what God was wanting to do, the prophets had... You know, we hear a lot about the 400 silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, they're silent in, in view of the fact that, that there are no books written. But we don't really know how God dealt with people. He may have had many prophets during that period of time. There was just no inspired scripture given to them. Because when the New Testament opens up, we have conclusive evidence that there were people that were living righteous and living godly. And it appears to me that at the close of the Old Testament... The people there 
were uh, in no better shape than they were when, when the New Testament was opened up. And there were people that could hear from God. And Zacharias was a man, a godly man that could. He really was. And of course, John the Baptist was to come, preceding Christ. He was to be the finger that pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was to open up the path for a visitation of Jesus Christ into the country of Israel. When Jesus came, he came not but to the lost tribe of the household of Israel. Why did, he, why, why did God uh, call on John the Baptist to, to, to create a circumstance or a situation for, for his visitation? And, 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 and God has a lot of John the Baptist in the world today. And when I say John the Baptist, I'm not talking about just people. I'm talking about circumstances. Who knows, but maybe somewhere in a, on foreign soil tonight, there's a circumstance that's brewing that will finally hit your life and open up your mind and make you acceptable, at least in your own mind, to God when He comes and visits you. I, I think that's, that, that, that's just so beautiful. I see people's lives and how God does this and how He does that and how He does this and how He does that. How He does this and how He does... When all of this is happening, for the most part, people don't even understand it's happening. And then all of a sudden, there He is. And He's saying, would you come and would you follow me? The nature of the Lord is really revealed when He called the twelve apostles. He went by Peter and James and John, who were fishermen. How did he call them? He didn't stand out on the street corner and preach hell, fire, and brimstone to them. Now, please understand, there's a side of God that you will get acquainted with in your walk with God or in this life in which you will feel the harshness of God. But when he called those apostles to service, he just simply went by and saw them. He observed them, and, and he called them. He said, would you come and follow me? He said, I'll change your life. I'll make you fishers of men. And while we were very exuberant in our worship tonight, I felt the gentleness of the Lord. It began to slip in during the choir song. I believe that God is walking these aisles tonight. While God is omnipresent, He's every place, I definitely believe that He's knocking upon somebody's heart's door right now. There have been some situations and circumstances in your life this week that have left you in a state of confusion. You don't know if you're coming or going right now. While God is not the author of all circumstances, He allows them to happen. And because they were allowed to happen, whether they be good circumstances or bad, God has you right now in a prime position in which He can talk to you. You know, I'm a believer that there are certain times that people cannot hear from God. Now, I really believe that. That's a message within itself. 
There's a season in which the soul becomes ripe for harvest. And that's the day in which the reaper of all the harvests will visit. He doesn't visit too late, and he doesn't visit too soon, but he visits just at the right time. Jerusalem would not listen to Jesus. Consequently, Jerusalem was destroyed. Jerusalem lay waste in 70 A.D. because they would not listen. I'd like for you at this time to turn with me to 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. And I'd like for you to stand in closing. And Sister Grant and Sister Wittenbach come to the platform. This is what Paul has to say to the church at Corinth. We then, as workers together with you, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. In other words, when God comes, He's going to offer to you grace. Isn't that great? Now, Peter uses the word mercy. Mercy is the withholding of judgment. Grace is the granting of favor. Mercy always has to be granted before grace can be given. Sometimes God shows mercy. And following mercy is always grace. Following mercy is always... But what he says now, some people just receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, when Jesus is there, they do not know how to accept him. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee, or assisted thee, or prompted thee, or helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He says, in a time accepted. Now, you said time accepted. You may not have been aware of it, or maybe you were. But God has set the stage right now. And you have come, maybe not fully aware of what would take place. But God has met you on neutral ground tonight to visit with you and talk to you and grant to you grace. Now Paul says, when that appointment has been set, when the circumstances are arranged, the prevailing situations have all flowed into their place. And there you sit waiting for him. Make sure when his grace comes that you don't turn it away. That you don't receive it in vain. Because you see, 
While God is a God of love and a God of nature, it's impossible to come to God except the Spirit draw you. You see, you can't just on your own just jump up and say, Okay, God, you haven't been talking to me, but I'm going to come. By nature, you are a child of wrath. By nature, you've alienated yourself from God. By nature, your sin has cut off that communication. If you feel tonight any tug inside, any pulling, any voice, any dealing of the Spirit, it's evidence that He's visiting. And all He's saying tonight is, I just want to come inside and I want to dwell with you. I don't want to live with you. Do you feel that right now? Now on each side of our pulpit here, there is a place to kneel and pray. If you feel that the Lord is visiting with you, why don't you come here and accept salvation from Him? All over the place we have people who will assist you. That's what Paul was saying when he said, I have succored thee. I have assisted thee. I've helped you. It's always necessary to have some help. The Ethiopian eunuch, when he was told what he needed to do, He was told what he needed to do only after he realized his need of help. He told Philip, he said, How can I know except some man should guide me? The altar's filling up already. Would somebody else come? Would somebody else come and surrender their all to the Lord? God's dealing with hearts here tonight. Praise God. A visitation from God. Oh, hallelujah. Come on right now and surrender. Come on right now and open up. Come on right now and invite Him in. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Would you come right now? I I just feel like somebody out in the audience needs to get up and come down to the front. I know everybody's praying, but I still feel that somebody needs to come. Hallelujah, would you come right now? Would you come on? Would you surrender you all to the Lord? Hallelujah.